Watch this. Yeah, so we enjoy enjoy today anyway out on the on the golf course. How yeah. was that? And what Great. was the thoughts on Blackwell? Absolutely loved it. Been on the list for years and years, and I've uh, just had a blast out there. Fantastic yeah. green sites, just a pretty golf course. Tough. My golf showed that I think tough golf course, but um, I can't wait to get back. North of the Watford Gap services is, I suppose, relatively rare for you. Is that fair to say? Yeah. So, golf in the Midlands in general not really played a fat lot, or no, really. No. And I know there's there's other stuff around here that I'd, I'd like to get to, but Blackwell's always been it's always had a sort of mystique. And coming from working at New Zealand, it was on my radar for a long yeah. time. So thank you. No, Enjoyed no, no, play it was great fun, wasn't it? Well, I think we actually probably had the best day, you know, didn't we? I mean, it was it was a stock twenty four degree temperature, not yeah. a cloud in the sky, greens running at. A solid 10. Yeah. Could have done with them being eight, the way I put it. Yeah. No, beautiful, beautiful golf course. Um, well, it's great to have you on the podcast, Richard. Thank you. Um, how would you introduce yourself? I don't know, really. Um, golf tragic is a term that one of the other podcasts have, have been throwing at me. So I think that just about fits. I, golfing I just, tragic. A golfing tragic. I, I just, I love the game and I, I love playing and I'm, you saw, I mean, you had 18 holes of it to endure, but I'm no good at it, but it brings me joy every time. And you say that, I think there's a bit of modesty. There's, the ball flight looks good. The swing looks great. A foot off the ground. There's a few of the sort of, <laughs> few of the slightly steep three woods, but you know, it was good. You, you mentioned you're a bit partial to some short game pyrotechnics as well, which another recent previous guest of this podcast talks about, but I thought the golf looked very solid today. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. We all played it. We all played well. Yeah. Where did it all start in golf for you then, Richard? I suppose, you know, take us back to the earliest memory. So I grew up, well, between the ages of seven and 18, I was in Cardiff. My father's job was there and um, I was a keen soccer player and the schools went on strike in 84 and my parents were just left with me and didn't know what to do with me. And I had a golf lesson or two and just somewhere I can't remember the exact shot, but somewhere I flushed one. Yeah. And it's just been downhill from then on, really. So <laughs> um, I got the bug big time. And we lived by a pitch and putt, Heath Park. Um, probably no one's ever heard of it, but I was over there in, in all sorts of weather, just trampling around, finding balls, hitting them again. And, and just, I, I loved the game from almost day one, I think. So, yeah, I think. Um we we were talking about it. I think seem to remember we were walking down the fourth today, and you you were talking about your kids, and they're starting to get into golf a little bit, aren't they? And yeah. there really is no better diet for an eight week summer holiday, is there, than yeah. thirty six holes, half a dozen cans of coke, chipping for Snickers bars, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. That's the yeah. I just have a. I get quite nostalgic about golf, but as a junior, we we were just at the club I was a member of a club we'll come on to it actually because I've chosen one of the holes but um Wenvo Castle in Cardiff yeah I'd never so, heard of this I was doing the oh, scorecard last night I'd never heard of it it's just lovely and it's so you know I know every blade of grass and and all of the deep foliage around it but it's a braid course and um we'd turn up there at eight o'clock in the morning and leave at nine o'clock at night and just six weeks felt like an eternity every summer there yeah it's marvelous long days weren't they as a kid you, yeah you I mean, so I know nothing, pretty much, I know of most of the golf courses on here. Wenvo Castle's the absolute exception I'd never heard of. So that's yeah. Cardiff. On paper, this looks like a hole that's in my wheelhouse. 335-yard par four. Yeah, it's gorgeous. So, yeah, number three, uh, you tee up on the top of this enormous mound. It's quite stony, hilly ground there. Uh, you hit anything from a sort of eight-iron to a three-wood down into this low valley quite narrow fairway and then you pitch back up the hill and the greens at an angle sort of 45 degrees off where you want it to be there's a front bunker there's a false front the greens probably i don't know 30 feet above you maybe even more than that above your stance depending where you shanked it off the tee and it just it caught me and from a very young age i was just intrigued by that whole why was it so hard to play and you know, you could smash it on there with a the driver, but it would be a miracle to thread it through the gap. 
or is it three three five? Yeah, yeah three three five. You'd never make three, and you'd be quite happy to make four. But yeah. first time, most there, of the time, people are making sixes or sevens because yeah. you just get into the wrong positions. Did that strike? I mean, you mentioned it there, maybe an appreciator of good architecture back then. Uh, not then, and I didn't understand that. But I knew there was something about certain holes at Wenvo because that was the first course that I got to knew, know, like the back of my hand. Um, I knew there were certain holes that kept beating me up, and I didn't really understand why. But um, that short par four third is that the appeal of that and the difficulty of it and the fact that it shouldn't be that hard it's never gone away that so the fascination was born there and then i think that made sense a few years later when i realized oh okay there's more to how they lay out these golf courses yeah that's a braid course went for but I guess it keeps you coming back, those sort of things, don't they? Those holes where it feels gettable or it feels like you should do so much better, but you don't. That's probably the addiction that we all suffer with almost because it it's that sense that, you know, what actually you can kind of, it just keeps you coming back. I should be able to make birdie here. I should be able to do this. There's lots of different outcomes to the shots. And, you yeah. know, to a certain extent, you know, that's what kind of probably hooks a lot of people, even if they don't really realize it at the time, I guess. Yeah. And that hole, and there's a couple of other holes there that, you know, I'd have on if you'd let me have more than one on the course. Which, by the way, we won't. And you know uh, no, that. So. And we've already that. tried hard. Um, there's so many ways to play that hole. You could blast it on with driver. You could hit it very short. You could r try and run it up. And it doesn't matter how, you know, I've played it a million times and I've, I've probably got a handful of threes up there. So um, the fact that there's so many options that, defines good architecture to me it's yeah. not an island green and one shot or dead uh, you could play it anywhere you like and and the, the hacker will make four or five just the same as the scratch golfer on that one yeah and fast forwarding to now obviously you're you've enjoyed a, a, a long career in club management sec been club secretary at some of the most storied clubs in britain and fairly recently had the bandwidth to throw yourself into the golf writing a bit just talk to us how we've come there so just give me the sort of potted history with your career and how you know was it always going to be a golf career or was it no could it you know what could it have been no i think they call it the path of least resistance so i went to university <laughs> in bristol and studied sociology and philosophy everyone knows that leads to nothing in particular apart from <laughs> procrastination i think so um did five years in the book trade i love books and writing and reading um uh, so i did five years there but I, I i'd moved to london i just wasn't playing golf at all i missed wenver and i missed sort of the um wilderness of south wales really uh and so i took a total career nosedive and, and moved into greenkeeping for five years at mitchum golf course on the common southwest london uh, I <laughs> I caught a train through there every morning and looked out the window at the, uh, I've got to be careful how I phrase this, the people playing golf. And I was just so jealous because I couldn't play in southwest London. The, the clubs are expensive or I didn't have time or they're, they're packed on the weekend. So I just wrote a speculative letter and a, a, a position came open and I thought, well, I've got nothing to lose here. So... I did that for five years, absolutely loved being outside, got all my qualifications for greenkeeping and so on, and um, more importantly, started playing golf, because I, I, you know, I was playing twice a year or something, which after a teenage uh, addiction to the game where I was playing <laughs> yeah. the whole time, it just felt like, um, you know, my life was rushing away without golf in it, so, so I delved back into golf there, and then from there... Uh, another random piece of luck, really, but I, I got to become the assistant secretary at New Zealand Golf Club, which I know you know, um, which I'd never heard of until I saw a job. Talk about a baptism of fire into club management and secretarial work. Yeah, yeah, just the most wonderful place and full of stories and history and, and just a gorgeous golf course. Um, and, and you didn't really know of that when you moved there? No. You didn't know a huge amount about the club? No, um, and we'll, we'll come on to Woking because I've chosen its fourth hole, but um, it was going to... Actually, let, should Ooh, we do that we, now? Well, we've made the decision, have we? Because for context for our listeners, last <laughs> night, you've spent how long poring over this eclectic 18? A good 
15 minutes Sam I mean that's I was just really thorough no, well then your whatsapps to me have been indicating something completely different but there was two woking holes on there I said I'm so sorry if we bend the rules for one person and I had to do the same with Richie Ramsey and he was our first eclectic 18 I, I felt bad but he'd used multiple holes but you'd put the fourth in at woking but also the the 10th hole at woking and I said this isn't good enough and you've sort of sat on that decision now for 18 holes of golf a sandwich coffee this morning a drive up and we still haven't had an answer and I, they were almost skirting with the idea of blackwell 10 knocking the other woking hole out but there was discussions yeah. around rise fourth hole which is you know an impossible par four <sighs> i thought you were going to be a bit more lenient and accommodating about this summer, can't let you have I? two from one golf course <laughs> the rules are really clear okay well bro- i'll bro- use i'll use the fourth at woking to lead into new zealand then so you know the people who've listen to your stuff they'll, they'll know working and that that hole and the rogue um action of john Lowe or whatever yeah stuart Patton. so Patton was called the mussolini of working and just no one messed with him so he went out with a spade and dug a hole in the middle of the fourth fairway <laughs> and just the first time i went to play there with someone off golf club atlas we had the most glorious game of golf and and just that bunker i, I felt the modern day equivalent of what tom simpson must have felt there just looking at it and going okay there's there's a whole there's layers of the onion here there's a whole depth of this architecture stuff that i wasn't aware of and it ties back to that third at wenvo and trying to work out why on earth i couldn't play this damn hole um so the that piqued my interest in simpson and i went away and started you know learning more about him and and shortly afterwards went to new zealand played it just fell for the place hook line and sinker and i still feel like that about the course it's a it's the most wonderful club too it's um, such a charming place to hang out isn't it it is and it's not been diluted in all that time and anyway simpson went there and redesigned it in the late 20s and um so i went there as assistant secretary and spent almost eight years there then did the same role at royal wimbledon which is another fabulous golf course with uh, more history than any man could possibly take in the red coats on the common and um so many connections to st uh, george's know, huge yeah, relation because it's laidlaw purves thing isn't it at Royal Wimbledon? yeah and and the rules of golf i mean purvis and, and low back at woking was so heavily involved in all that and technology debates that are still roaring on around us at the moment so um so that was a combined 10 years in those positions and then I already knew you working and played it quite regularly and just love the golf course. So position came up there as GM five years ago and I took that and until Christmas last year I was I was doing that right through the COVID spell and um thoroughly enjoying it. Clubs sort of experienced a renaissance. Um you've played there recently and done your gorgeous video about the place. Uh it's a wonderful golf course and they are keen to keep developing it in line with all the tradition and everything else there so um but i got to christmas last year and um just needed a break really yeah. and, and wanted to do some writing and just wanted to you know take a sort of mid-career reflection point so so here i am playing and, golf and not getting any better and just on that sort of world of club management for want of a better term i don't know really where club manager stops and secretary begins if i'm honest that's why i keep hedging my bets with the two terms but you know, how much has that, the challenges of that stuff evolved? I suppose we haven't actually done a huge amount on the podcast before with, you know, around that. I'm just curious for your thoughts and stuff to get a bit of a sneak peek into the world of a club office and, you mm. know, how that operates. I suppose a lot of people, you know, don't, it's kind of like club professionals have their own take, you know, maybe on the game. What's, you know, what's your sort of read on, you know, that industry perhaps? It's... um it's an interesting one at the moment it's an industry that not that many people are coming into and it's increasingly admin burdensome uh every element of the the typical club is ramping up you've got to be more aware of the safety and the hr stuff and the handicap system and you know all those parts of the job it's quite a varied role they're all just slowly ramping up and some of the clubs can't cope with it with the staffing they have and uh it sort of takes away well you know speaking personally i got to the position where it was taking away from my ability to do the bits i love which is being out front and welcoming people helping them enjoy their day um 
developing the golf course it's all about the golf course most of these clubs but um i suppose it's really hard to steer clear of then the, the red tape whether it's the safeguarding and i'm not saying safeguarding's needless red tape but i'm sure there's i'm sure it's over engineered when it comes to health and safety or safeguarding or you know some of the administrative stuff and it's like you know clubs that you've mentioned there like new zealand raw wimbledon woking they're such potent golf experiences mm. and the danger is that the more things come in and you know maybe i'd put whs in that bracket as well it sort of all speaks to the homogenization of golf which mm. you know for me at least having such different and potent flavors of golf clubs and golf courses and experiences is what makes this game brilliant mm. and you know, the more and more that gets diluted is, you know, perhaps a, a bit of a danger. I think it's really important these places play to their strengths too and don't look to uh, soften the edges that make them unique. Um, talking about handicaps at New Zealand, you know, they, they they weren't official handicaps and the handicap review tended to happen over... Really? Oh, same as Swinley then? So not, not official? No, well, unless it's changed since I left I don't think it has certainly for the men um, you know they would haggle over their handicaps when it snowed <laughs> and they were unable to get on the golf course and they'd do it over a bottle of claret at, at Wednesday lunchtime so um, and there's so much great stuff about that though you yeah know? yeah and they play foursomes golf and yeah, I remember I went yeah, I remember remember coming in and he, he was apologetic because he'd only lost on the 17th in a match and he felt the opponent might be able to question his handicap despite the fact he lost and he asked for it to put be put down to even further beneath where he could play to so just the sort of <laughs> the opposite of what happens at, at the your everyday club I guess but well, we've got um I mean just on handicaps I I I maybe touched on it a couple of times in the past, but I've played the game since I was seven. For the first time in nearly 30 years, I'm turning up at golf courses genuinely confused to what handicap I'm playing off. And yet yeah. WHS was there to simplify the game, really, and to make it more accessible. For me, at least, it's, it's really com complicated. I can't say I feel like the handicaps that we've arrived at are, are any fairer or any better measure of a player. I think it's perhaps inflated some good golfers' view of their own ability. I think some of the low handicaps have gone lower and some of the high handicaps have gone higher. But, yeah, I find that's a bit of a bugger's model, if I'm honest, WHS. It's... Uh, yeah. So tricky one. Well, you saw today, you know, I, I've, I've no idea w what the scores were out there. We just had fun, had a good chat and hit loads of nice shots and some bad ones. And, you know, I had way more fun there than I would with a card in my hand or worrying about what the slope rating was or anything. It yeah, just exactly. didn't interest me at all. Um, just on the whole, so just a slight one. You've, you've covered off there some of the courses that are key in your career. So New Zealand, Raw Wimbledon and Woking. Uh, we've got Woking 4. We've got New Zealand 17th. Bring that one to life for us a little bit. Yeah, so... Because um, I, I thought this was an interesting pick. I think there's many great golf holes at New Zealand. And tr curious as to know why 17... I'm not saying it wouldn't make it in. I think okay. New Zealand's one of those really consistent courses where I feel like everything builds up. Mm. It's the nuance and the simplicity of the course is really its its greatest asset. And it comes together brilliantly, but they're not all standout holes, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And you come... You cross Martyrs Lane back to the 12th tee, and I think it just gets world-class from then on, yeah. and it just builds. It's such an amazing... They play a lot of match play there. And uh, it's such a, it just builds to a crescendo for me. So 17 and 18 were major changes when Simpson went there. They were straight crossing par fours. Um, when Muir Ferguson died, who was the original architect and chief exec, they'd bought a, a parcel of land which is left of the corner of 17. And so Simpson got to build his own 17th hole and uh, move the 18th tee right out into the corner. And... Um, you know, it's a very tight angle. I think it's about 80 degree dog leg left and you have to hit, well, you, Sam, you probably hit about eight iron up to the corner. But for a mere mortal, it's a, a two iron and then a sort of nine iron in. Um, it's very tight. You've got to hit it far enough that you can get around the corner. If you hit it 10 yards too far, you've got the wrong angle. And the yeah, because the green feeds right to left. So then you're almost yeah. chasing back away. For, it's chasing away from you again with bunkers as well down on the left. That's right. And you've got the, the sort of di slightly diagonal tier. It's quite a steep tier and everything kicks left. And the bunkers on the left are just devilish. Um, and the, the firmer it gets, and it does get firm there. It's not irrigated through the fairways. And as a result, you get 
great heath and conditions most of the time there i just that 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 spot by the green there is i could spend the rest of my days there just with a couple of balls chipping around and um yeah you never get bored but there's another twist to this one so i love 16 the hole before fabulous par three yeah so i used to play with a can terrier there lizzie and uh she would we'd get 16 and she'd bugger off ahead and um she'd wait by the foursomes path I used to play there with my dog a lot, right, uh, Lizzie, and she would go ahead to the foursomes path on 16, <laughs> and then she would, as soon as I hit my shot and started walking, she'd take off. And I wouldn't <laughs> see her again until I came out onto the 17th tee, and she'd just be sat at the corner where the hole swings left on the outside corner. And as soon as she saw me, she'd just take off to the right. She'd go straight into the clubhouse, into the back of the kitchens, and start, you know, trying to find scraps no. of meat and cooking fat and so that's on. amazing and uh so lizzie was a big she was there every day with me at work and um her ashes are on the corner of that hole so every time i go oh, there wow. i normally miss the shot right you know because i miss the shot right but it gives me an opportunity yeah, to go there and on to the old dog but that's so. you know that's that's an amazing little story the way you've put that there i think that's there that's incredible yeah so um, that's and, and there's a slight omission then. So Raw Wimbledon didn't didn't make didn't make the cut. I love Raw Wimbledon. I was struggling. It's so to hard get to squeeze courses. Every course in you want to squeeze in, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. And and also Mitchum, I would have loved to have had that in there because the five years I spent greenkeeping there were just you know some of the happiest days of my life. So, um, but I I was quite keen to get some of the places I'd seen recently in because the yeah. last few months have been uh, you know a voyage of exploration for me. Um, Has it been so, a bit of a renaissance in your golfing career almost in some yeah. respect? Because you finished Woking in what, November, December time? Is that December, right? December, just for Christmas. And then you've gone on a sort of a, a binge diet of mm. golf writing through your Substack page, yeah. Stymied. Yeah. And great, great, great name, by the way. Um, and visiting loads of courses with, with the freedom and I guess what, for inspiration to write about. Just talk to me about you know, the writing and where you felt like how you, why you wanted to start writing again or what, um, you know, what about, I guess. I'd always wanted to write, but I, I, it's extraordinary the number of people who say that and most of us just never do it. There's some, there's a sort of fear factor in there of putting yourself out there. I'd always wanted to do it. I'd never had the guts to do it. And actually, Sam, I should have mentioned this before, but the stymied, newsletter i only started that when i started it because you were kind enough to put a piece in the cookie jar um on the website oh yeah so of course I thought, uh, you know i've got to have rank something. outsiders it's a brilliant piece yeah and i'm hoping i can talk you into as a bit of a favor doing more writing for us perhaps perhaps in, in, in due course so I'd love to, but that I kind of kick-started it a little bit yeah, yeah. so i i'd wanted to do it but it, i've called this a sabbatical i, I think they're, they're some people probably think it's a midlife crisis. They might be right, and we'll look back <laughs> I and work it out. I think buy a motorbike if it's a midlife crisis. <laughs> no, I'm not allowed one of those. No, I tried that. Um, so I just had fallen out of love with the game, and it's partly to do with that admin stuff that we were talking about. I, I just wasn't playing. It's quite hard to play when you're in the industry. There's always something to do, or you don't want to play at home because you get seen by people and I, I'd just fallen out of it and when I did play it was infrequent enough that I played even worse than I did this morning and I just lost the, the spark yeah. and I thought well I'm either going to stop playing or I'm going to you know play a lot and try and get that love of the game back and when I thought back to how I was at Mitchum I was a greenkeeper I was visiting all sorts of courses that's how I got to Woking New Zealand etc Royal Wimbledon was another one going to visit these places to find out more about the turf and the architecture was such a passion and I'd forgotten all about it I'd neglected it so it was a you know a, a, an intentional effort to go and play a lot more golf and see some new courses that I hadn't seen so some of those crop up in here but also your writing's very nostalgic isn't it there's a there's quite a lot of stuff around some of the club nostalgia that you write about as well it's yeah. fair to say and some of the you know maybe some of the more old school stuff within the game as well so it's not just architecture right a lot of it's some of the maybe it's some of the ineffable qualities around the clubs 
Yeah, which is the stuff that interests me. And I think you, from from talking more with you and, and being in this gorgeous room at Blackwell. Yeah, you we know should the, say we're sat in the members' lounge recording <sighs> this pod. It's just wonderful. And um, some I of think the, these, some of these these chairs are some of the best in the business that we're sat it's in. It's extremely comfortable. This could go on for the full 75 hours that's left <laughs> on the stick. Um, I just love these places. And, and um, the more niche that's in the clubhouse and the golf course and so on the more they should protect it because i think it's what makes these places unique and and gives them a lasting appeal and yeah the rest of the world can homogenize as you mentioned but these places are properly special and they've worked perfectly well for you know dozens if not hundreds of years and uh, but again they haven't all got to be the same you know that not every club should be like new zealand not every golf club should be like rawson george's but there's a potency to those types of places and i think that's the that's the cool feature isn't it particularly when you're doing so much around traveling and looking at different clubs you know one of the holes one of the courses i saw in here that we played last year myself and tom actually is painswick which makes a feature now curious to know funnily enough i think a bit of a niche thing here when you wrote the rank outsiders piece i think i was looking for a piece to put in i think i used a picture from painswick actually it may even be this green that's on there could as the be. little website, I'll check that, as the little tile that you put on the website. Um, Painswick's fifth hole, for example. Painswick is nothing like New Zealand. It's nothing like Raw St. George's or any of that. It's a totally different type of place, but it's also the sort of place I think you can fall in love with very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So I might actually cheat and... No, I won't. I'll come back to Cleve Hill. So Cleve Hill was my direction into Painswick. I played Cleve Hill... And um, the guy who's been on the podcast, actually, Sean, Detroit golfer. Sean Arbor, yeah. Um, who I've known for years, and he, he's just a star for this sort of stuff. He knows what will appeal to me. He said, you've got to get to Painswick. So I, I went there and just stood on the first tee wondering what on earth you meant to do from here. A, all you can see is a hill, which looks too steep to walk up with a, a marker above. And then you get to the the fifth uh what is it 114 yards par three totally blind it's called castle and it makes sense because it's sort of you know might as well have crenellations around the front yeah. wall it's well defended and the little path that leads up there could be from a footpath in the lake district it's just so unique it's, isn't it's it? not golfing landscape and it just it's so much fun i could have stood on that tee all day long and hit shots mm. and uh, i've played it twice now and the second time i thought i'd probably hold him one i got up there and couldn't even find the ball so um it's one of those brilliant punch ball greens isn't it which i always think gives you just so much excitement when you walk down yeah and you kind of get, get in that sort of sneak peek as to where the ball is i think there's a huge amount of excitement to that yeah and it, that sort of ties into the architectural theme. So Darwin wrote about this and I, I tried to cobble together some piece around it, but he was talking about blind shots and the Dells, specifically of Raw St. George's, which is another one I've left out um, after a great deal of deliberation. And he said, these uh, blind shots and Dells appeal to the childiness and make one think of robbers' caves and underground passages. And he just spoke of getting to the brow of the hill. He's just so excited to see what's there. Yeah. And architecturally, they've sort of gone way out of favour. And I get that probably not, it's probably not that fair to have many blind shots on a golf course. But at the same time, we're out there to have fun. And to me, that is loads of fun. I think it speaks to the, 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 the golf between the professional and the amateur game, doesn't it, really? And the more we've gone down this track of thinking that the amateur game is like the professional game, means we've had to eliminate blind shots. We've had to make sure there's a fair outcome to a shot and therefore it becomes more of an execution challenge. Whereas really, you know, the exciting stuff is the fact that it is equally unfair and that you can get a bad bounce and you can get a good bounce and you're going to have to hit a shot over something where you don't necessarily know the outcome before you get over the top. And it's amazing how Darwin's so good at writing about this stuff. You know, I know that, you know, our films, we're never short of plagiarising his work, but the truth is he just said it so well. Yeah. Yeah, and he just got all of the charm of the sort of golf that I like to play, matches and fast golf. And um, there's portraits of him over the dining room at Woking, where, you know, it's one of his beloved courses. There's a, virtually the same portrait down in the committee room at Ryan and his chair and everything. There's so much. He's contributed so much to golf, I think, for those of us who like that sort of that side of the game mm. uh, and his writing stands up now it's just beautiful 
uh, I don't think anyone else gets near him really. I love, particularly love Alistair Cook's writing on golf. I wish there was more of that, but he only took up the game at 55. Um, so he didn't quite have Darwin's tenure in it, but um, yeah, no, he's marvellous. I love Painswick. It's just everything that's traditional and rugged and natural about golf. There's a few of those Cotswold bangers in there as well, isn't there? I noticed yeah. Minchinhampton Old and Cleve Hill make an appearance. So we've got the 14th at Cleve Hills in your in your scorecard and 16th at Minchinhampton Old. I'm yet to see Minchinhampton. Yeah, so I'll just whiz through there. I, I I was expecting you to, you know, pull me up on this as well. So my 14th on the cards, Cleve Hills 13th, but I know you're going to disqualify me. But that's the one with the uh, the wild green and it, it overlooks Cheltenham. And um, I think it's an amazing golf hole. It's better as a par five, though. Hmm? I think it's because they, they, they play it as a par four from the yellows. Ah, uh, okay. And it's off the whites it plays as a par five. Oh, right. It is definitely a better par five. Yeah, I just I thought that was a fantastic hole. And then Cleve Hill, the first time I went there with Sean Arbel and um, uh, a couple of other people, and it was just, it was wonderful. There were people everywhere. It was Sunday morning. I pulled up in the car park, couldn't park anywhere, parked halfway down the hill, and um, we slowly climbed, you, you know, the routing, and, mm. you know, it was the... It's a bit cookie. of a lung buster for 12 holes. The more and more yeah. I play it, because we've got to, we joined there as a country member after our event back there in October. They put on an outrageously good country membership deal of £200 a head. And, you know, it's just, it's a brilliant place to go and hit balls, particularly over the winter, because the turf's always rock hard. But the yeah. more I play it, the more I realise it is an absolute lung buster till you get to the 14th, really. Yeah. And then you see, you can sort of ease off and, and enjoy the walk in from there can't you but fabulous oh, well enjoy the walk you've got two blistering par threes on the way in back to back <laughs> nice feature of a good golf course which is in your eclectic 18 <laughs> oh, yeah enough, back yeah. to backs that's um, good enough for cyprus right yeah cleve hill and cyprus if that's yeah that's so that's why i went there minchin hampton old again just i it's funny i went to play there and put in the wrong sat nav so i was heading to the the new courses at Minchinhampton and I was just driving along I can't remember what the village is you rise up onto this plateau and then I just saw the most featureless landscape with people playing golf on it and I thought my sat nav's telling me I've still got 10 minutes to go I, it's definitely wrong so I just turned right and parked and I was right and um, just no bunkers uh, fairly minimal presentation really good though. I mean real linksy turf and the greens were great and there's just gullies and valleys and hollows everywhere it, it was just the most amazing introductions of the place and it was a glorious day I mean it must be incredibly bleak up there some days but still people people just absolutely love that I think it's just that it's a bit more connection with the natural landscape in those those three we've just talked about Painswick, Cleveland and Minchinhampton that not having been to Minchinhampton old but you know there is that it is just a it is really about the connection with the landscape isn't it and I think that's that's kind of a, a hugely important feature um any others on on the scorecard here that speak to maybe some of the writing stuff that you've done or places that you've visited I mean we've that there's a it's an incredible scorecard I should add 5,922 yards in length par 70 brilliant little match play card um are there any others within here that kind of speak to some of the the real highlights of some of the recent last six months traveling yeah so um the eighth at hailing 350 par four and again you you by this point you're getting a feel for i quite like tom simpson's work yeah. he went there and did a whole load of work and and the eighth there is just just a brilliant hole you can't hit driver second shots blind over a sort of it's like a miniature version of the 13th at rye um just an yep. uh, incredibly beautiful spot to play golf firm fast links land and, and a wonderful hole so another one of those it's been on my bucket list like blackwell for probably 20 years and it's, you know it's a feeble effort to have taken that long to get down there and just like today, I walked off thinking I'd need to get back here soon. This is just too good. There's to something not about play. Simpson, isn't there? I mean, I, regular guest of this podcast, Sam Cooper, says that um, Simpson's his favourite architect. You know, it, yeah. it's 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 brilliantly put together stuff. The you know what we've played there today at Blackwell's is Simpson and Fowler, but I think the the vast majority of the the credit goes to Simpson. Certainly in some of the the papers, there's a real knack, isn't there? And I think. 
when you look at most of your courses uh, I think pretty much all of them are a, a kind of golden age classics or before mm. without that earth moving equipment to be able to look at a piece of land and route a course you know I mean I would talk at black at black about Blackwell in that same same sentence in fact is Blackwell in the eclectic 18 what's going to be the 10th hole well I was going to have the old 10th at Woking. So the, the original 10th. 19th. I'll let you have this. I'm going to let you have it. So you've, you've, cam- well, you've canvassed hard for it. And I feel like I'm going to break your, break your spirit if I don't let this stay. Well, how about this? Instead of the 4th, because I've already mentioned the 4th, I'll have the 4th at Rye because it's... Uh, the last time I played there, my host called it almost impossible. And uh, <laughs> There's know, no almost about it, is there? On a still day, it is almost impossible, but you don't get many of those at Rye, so it's just the narrowest. It's a wonderful hole. Um, so I'll have the fourth at Rye, if I may, um, tear up the card really, I gave you really. going to have the old tenth at Woking, so I'm tell us the about old the old tenth. tenth. So nine and ten were always problematic at Woking. They hated the tenth that went up the hill. You've got to get from the bottom of the hill to the top of the hill, as you know. You know, they've got a few holes yeah, down Yeah, it's a really awkward valley. bit of land, isn't it? Yeah, and you've got to get back up to Keith and golf's a game best played downhill, as Nicholas said. So, but you've got to get up there, so... Uh, Simpson in the 30s, I haven't got the dates on me, but he built a long par three that goes right into the corner of the property where a mutual friend of ours um, may have shanked his ball and <laughs> <laughs> investigated the green side. Very delicately put. Uh, so I think that was about a 230-yard par three. And then from there, uh, and actually in 2018, the whole place dried out and the aerial photos from then, they show you where the contour lines and particularly the central bunker were so the 10th was a diagonal par four up the hill to a green perch near where the current 10th green is um, with a central fairway bunker and none of the woodland that's now left of nine was impeding play so he built this hole and um you know there was mixed opinion because you're playing uphill but Charles Ambrose there's a beautiful quote I found last night and I failed to bring with me about it just saying it may be the something like may be the best hole of all um and then in the 50s you know typical club stuff someone took a dislike to it or thought they could do better and so they had a, a raffle on the derby and the members were um uh, asked to contribute to a fund to rebuild this hole and um, the, the secretary at the time was affectionately called Monster and there's some gorgeous old paperwork in the archive all this you know all this going ahead and the twos and fro's of letters of the committee and so on they rebuilt it the ninth was meant to be a par five it's it's just a brutal hole um, now and then the yardage is changed for par five so it's now about the hardest par four and yeah it's crazy hard it's like you're it's getting wild. on that i mean it's fine for, for you actually the, the way you hit the ball i played for their one two i'm fifth. really enjoying this podcast because you're really talking my game up here <laughs> <as you want. laughs> well, we can run this for 75 hours actually i um but so, yeah it is it is it is almost too i mean it, again good match play hole because it's half par really you're going to take five and run but it's not a it's not a proper par five no. it's, it's an like you say and i think that speaks to the you know the brilliance of some of these people that were working in the industry 100 years ago and that maybe the earth moving equipment and technology hasn't actually advanced us in any way no. and you know I, I played county louth recently baltray just just sort of out near dublin another simpson course and you look at the stuff that he's done, and it does scream of Tom Simpson. You know, there's, you know, unmistakable qualities with things like Cruden Bay, and the way he's dealt with really awkward bits of land and created really good golf holes out of it. You almost don't see that so much now because what you tend to see is someone will think about earth moving and trying to bring it back to something maybe a more traditional yeah. type of type of result. So I don't know. I mean, I'd love to see that 10th, the 9th and 10th put back as Simpson wanted them, whether it ever will or not. I don't know. Um, uh, the, yeah, we'll have to wait and see on that one, I think. But Anyway, great hole. So that's my 10th. I was going to go for the 10th behind me here. But I missed the putt, so. <laughs> but you know that again. We talk about Simpson, but routing of golf courses. I think you said it on the first hole. Massively overlooked feature of of how good things are because you can only really work with what you're given with, right? In terms of the land, and I I 
play you know play black ball today it's such a tiny piece of land and you yeah. get 18 holes out of it without anything ever feeling contrived without really ever crossing over holes or having you know awkward little back-to-back short holes or something to navigate a tricky corner and you think he did all that from the ground really without any any real tools at his disposal to do it found 18 green sites i genuinely don't think you know anyone 100 years on would do a better job today no no and the 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 bit that stands out for simpson for me and i I can see it here just as at new zealand and the work he's done at hailing and various other places is just the naturalness of those green sites they're flowing his holes are strategically brilliant but they also look like watercolors 17 18 Mm. the 10th at New Zealand, all those three there, they're just, you can tell where he's worked. And also they're fairly, for these days, courageous um, contours within the green. I don't think he's built those, you know, he didn't have a digger for a start, but I don't think much has happened there. He just had the artistic flair uh, and the courage to to go with some spectacular um, green sites. And they're just amazing to look at. The bunkering here is absolutely incredible as well it's worth saying yeah it's great isn't it's it gorgeous. And, and that's you know trying to bring back i'd love to have actually see them um uh, you, you, we're, we're talking a little bit on nostalgic history i'm going to put you on the spot with a question that i actually gave to paul craven when we did his podcast if i gave you a point in time you could travel back to oh you've got um, a return you've got one return trip in a time travel machine one point in time wow I mean, is it too cliche to go back to the rainy day in Woking's fourth tea? Is it John Lowe sat there musing? I don't think I could find anywhere more fun to be a fly on the wall in that room. And and to for the members then to go out on the golf course and come back storming in saying, what the hell's this? And be told, well, it was Stuart who did that. (laughs) And they'd suddenly go quiet. It's gone right. And the people who were playing the game down there at that point, John Lowe's an enormous figure in the game. And uh, I don't know if Freddie Tate was there at Mm. that time. Just some incredible, you know, that I'm not quite sure of the timing, but certainly Arthur Balfour was prime minister, I think, around that time. So I can just imagine the sort of uproar but it's spread across the land and you, we know the effect it had on simpson and the effect that simpson's genius has had on generations of golfers ever since so yeah, yeah i think it'd be there yeah. and and now we're sort of you've you've maybe sort of cured a, a falling out of love for the game perhaps are you now you know is your passion now as high as it's ever been for the for the game would you say is it is it kind of reaching those teenage years again or yeah yeah it's a funny one i played on um so we talked a bit about you know another mutual uh acquaintance and and short game woes and yeah i've <laughs> had plenty of those i won't start on that because we really will run out of time but um <laughs> uh, i had i played on monday night at west byfleet which is another course that goes under the radar i'd lived within a mile for 12 years or 15 years and hadn't played it until recently it's I'm a just, crime isn't it yeah, and Abercrombie worked on that course among other architects, and it's just a you know it's another one that goes under the radar. It's a gem. It's in wonderful condition. Anyway, I had one of those days where I could pitch, and and I was you know the previous one was about twenty five years ago. So I just came out <laughs> so delighted. I got absolutely thrashed on Monday. I think I lost five and four, and I couldn't stop smiling because I hit maybe. You know, I couldn't wait to miss the next green because I, <laughs> I knew I'd hit another pitch shot. It's been so long. So, Actually, talking about routings and the genius, I think that gets missed. The genius of routing is evident here. It's a fabulous routing for a tiny plot of land. West Pyfleet's another. So Abercrombie turned that from nine holes into 18. If you look on Google Map, it, you know, it looks Awkward like a... little, so narrow spit of land. It's so right. narrow. It's got the train along one side and... Um, it almost looks like a club tie. It's a narrow sort of strip <laughs> and it's not straight out and in. He's built in some loops there. It's the most wonderful use of the land. And I think that's just absolute genius. That, um, Yeah, so uh, that's been a real pleasure. So there are certain courses, Wenvo, we've mentioned them, the ones I've worked at, where I've got to know them by playing dozens, if not hundreds of games and they, they reveal themselves slowly. Yeah, and you think West Byfleet's a real grower? 
yeah. think there's a big thing in this. Yeah. Cause I, some courses really just hit you hard in the mouth. Yeah. And then you play them over and over and not a huge amount changes. Yeah. And then others just gradually reveal themselves. New Zealand, there's there's plenty of holes like that in New Zealand. The fourth, for example, it's such a subtle hole. There's a slight contour for the green. That means you can't see the bottom of the pin. And it's just a slow burn, that one. Whereas 17, I was spellbound when I first played it. I'm just in that honeymoon period with playing West Byfleet where I'm I'm just getting to know all the, the nuance that these great architects, mm. Abercrombie, Simpson, Colt, they just, they were true artistic genius i think and the more we can preserve their stuff and um you know look after it and protect it we're we're custodians of some amazing pieces of strategic golf in some of these clubs and we don't always know what we're lucky to have what what's gonna what's what does the future hold for you uh i you know the, the writing's brilliant you know the writing's thank you got some real cult following hasn't it i think it's fair to say i think you've been very modest with writing it's they're brilliantly nostalgic pieces it fills a massive gap i think in golf writing that doesn't really exist you know there's it, it's not a science it shouldn't all be objective it's quite evocative stuff that you write and uh, you know they're very enjoyable pieces to read where, where does the writing go is there a future in that does you're doing a little bits and pieces at the moment with West Byfleet. Where, where, do, where do you think this sort of goes long term? Yeah, I don't know. It's still in the balance. I, I'm enjoying I'm dipping my toes back into working at West Byfleet and it's just a, a lovely club as well as a great golf course. So I'm really enjoying that and it's given me a bit more structure. And um, But it's done me the world of good to have a break. I feel like I've got my mojo back just in general, not just for golf. Uh, writing... I'll just carry on as long as anyone wants to read it. And when they don't want to read it, I'll just carry on for myself because honestly, I just get so much pleasure out of it. It's um, that time spent staring at the blank page, wondering what on earth's going to come out next. It's terrifying, but it's also so rewarding when occasionally a piece comes out and someone enjoys it. And you know, how do you get the inspiration for them? Cause I mean, I don't know, maybe give us a flavor of some of the topics that you've written about, but how do you, yeah, how, how do you get the words on the page? Because I, I, there's a little bit, I do some real just bog standard bit of writing occasionally for our blog, but it's, you, you do feel a bit exposed putting your name to something in writing. It feels quite, it feels much more personal maybe than yeah. you know, something else. How do you go about that? You know, when do you write the pieces? You know, do you... So I have to be pretty disciplined about my um, process. So I get up super early. I was a greenkeeper for five years. So I just get up early, walk the dog, and then I, I commit to 30 to 60 minutes writing. You know, if I'm lucky and there's a day when there's something else, you know, little else going on, I can do some more. But um, that's my base level. And just being disciplined about that seems to give me uh, the freedom to to actually get the stuff done because it does take a while and some days it's impossible it feels impossible but um do you have a list of things that you know you're going to write about or do you just sort of yeah take the dog and then go right that's it that's the next no. one well i have a sort of a, a list that i um electronically chuck stuff into so um one i was thinking uh, and they come to me when I'm working dog, walking dog or in the shower or, you know, all over the place. Quite often when I'm playing, I had a thought yesterday about the, uh, what was it, running the gamut of emotions. And I was thinking of, you know, our lives are a roller coaster of highs and lows and peaks and troughs and so on. And when you go out there on a the golf course, you saw today I hit a couple of good shots and, and went through every other possible emotion yeah. during 18 holes. So um, that was just a, a theme. And then I'll they sort of fester in the back of my mind and then I'll try and flesh them out a bit. Occasionally, the ones that work best for me are when you've got a sort of recurring theme coming through and you can link it to a certain, I don't know, golfer or course or style of play like foursomes or whatever. Yeah, quite a lot of them come through playing golf. There'd be one I'll pop out in the next day or two about, you know, the worst weather I've ever played golf in. And, yeah. Um, that one's a bit longer because it just felt like there was more to say there. Um, the I mentioned Alistair Cook earlier, the first line of his book, which my late father gave to me and I didn't read for about, I read it and then left it for a good 15 years. Just reread it recently and the, the first line is something along the lines of they've been playing golf for 
800 years and no one has satisfactorily said why and i think <laughs> each of my pieces is an attempt to get at that and i'm getting no closer as you saw but yeah i think i think that's a great way to put it um i'm mindful of time um yeah. richard can you talk me through your scorecard from top to top to top to bottom sure give me a sense we've obviously we've covered a number of holes there that charted your career but then there's a few gaps and plenty of holes we didn't get to so just give yeah. us a a run through at your own at your own thinking and, and just talk about any any highlights or any things that stand out within okay so first at Royal north devon cradle of english golf yeah five two one yards by five uh, just you walk through this gate it's another featureless landscape a bit like minch old uh but with the the sea crashing in and the distance I drove down, it's about a three-hour drive. The hardiest golfer I know bailed out on me the day before on the weather forecast, so I thought, well, I'm going. And uh, I was rounding, I think, 148 or something like that. That's an um, acceptable speed. Uh, with a black cloud chasing me around <laughs> and just, you know, sheep grazing the land and um, fences around the greens, just rugged, pure, unadulterated golf and unadulterated joy for me. Got back to the clubhouse, uh, found out there was a Taylor course, which seven hole par three reminded me of Heath Park where I grew up. And um, so I went out there and the heavens opened and I, I had a three hour drive home where I was literally soaked from head to toe. So, But the Taylor course, you know, I could spend the rest of my life there. It's just amazing. So We talked about leaving the first hole blank as well, didn't we? Yeah, I was mulling that over. So, yeah. What I was the thinking behind that? Well, I just the adventure of going to visit these places or go back to them quite a few of these are places i've not been for years and years or not been at all i love that thing of just pulling into the car park and getting the sticks out and just exploring and you never know i i try and not do you found out today i try and not do too much prep so yeah the first hole somewhere is just always joyous. It was really hard to not use the first at deal as well, which I've written about a couple of times. And, you know, during my playing, I put a ball in the member's car park. <laughs> just so many stories there. And it's the 19th of the Hewitt and so on. Not that I was ever good but enough. You, you are, you, you, you're touching on something good there. Like the 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 most the best first hole is, is very often the next one that you've never played, isn't yeah. it? Almost the, you know, I always say, people are probably bored of hearing it but the most exciting part of golf for me is getting out of the car at a car park of a golf club i've yeah. never been to you know it's isn't like it? that's it's just, just the magical, best isn't it and i don't think a non-golfer can get that so at rural north devon you just there's this innocuous gate and you just pass through this gate into another century really or probably the century before isn't it halfway through the century before yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just a different world and so i couldn't leave royal north devon out i i love it to bits so hole two tandridge hadn't been there for 15 years uh went back there four five four yards par four dog leg right um just brilliant bunkering um, heavily bunker golf course from what i hear yeah it is yeah but beautiful and colt um Colt's work there is being restored. It was in great nick. The green's up tight with the boundary and the road behind. It's almost as terrifying as the 18th that we just played <laughs> here. Um, false front, the ball coming off and the greens were quick and devilish. It's just great to be back there. Um, hole three at Wenvo we've mentioned. Hole four was going to be Woking, but you've thrown that out. So uh, that, that, that can be a I'll have to work out what the yardage is. Painswick five. Six at Royal St. Very popular one. Deal yeah. six. Best best short four in the game. Oh, just unbelievable place, isn't it? And luckily, I, you know, unfortunately, I'm nowhere near being able to hit it on there these days. I seem to be getting old. But if I was in front of that green, like a sort of golfing Sisyphus trying to pitch a ball up and watching it roll back, I could do that forever. So Great Paul Craven on the podcast when we did the episode of Deal. And he, and he sort of says, you can always tell the visitors because the visitors are trying to chip it up the bank and members have got a putter yeah. in the hand. Yeah, that's bitter experience. It teaches you that, I think, and I've had plenty of that on that whole bottle. So your I next, love it. your next three here, three courses, I'm really interested to see and play. Okay, uh, hole seven, Hankley, just gorgeous par three, 183 yards across a valley of heather, tight green, bunkered at the front, pretty heavy contour in the green. Anything short comes spinning right back into the trouble, and and it's just the most remote spot, Hankley. It's, it's really the, exposed, like huge wilderness, isn't enormous, it? From what I understand. Enormous expanse of heath, and, and and no one there. It's just incredible. They call Skyfall there. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah, and, and they, you know, I've been there when you've 
caught something moving in the distance there's military operations going on and stuff but it's a beautifully um manicured it's a proper heathland golf course it's firm and fast and it's just, it's just great i, I love hankley uh eight at hailing i mentioned simpson's sort of semi-blind short par four ninth at West hailing Bifle. simpson as well then yeah Right, I didn't so know that. Not the whole thing, but he's done a lot of work there, and it's evident which bits he's influenced. A lot of people talking a lot about hailing at the moment. It's great. It's really good. I've waited so long, and we. The thing is, we go and occasionally dip in the sea down there. So I've been going very, very near Woking and uh, hailing. Sorry, and parking there for years and years. Always peering over, thinking that looks good. It's amazing. It's an amazing, and it's an hour from my house. It's wonderful. West Byfleet 9, we've touched on a little bit, I think, with West Byfleet. Yeah, short par 4. Tenet Woking that no longer exists, but one day I hope might. Uh, 11's a good one. So Muirfield, I remember watching Faldo win the Open. I just started getting into golf when Lyle won the Open, I think, 85. Faldo won two years later, 18 pars. And I was like, <laughs> Muirfield looks amazing. I waited all this time to get there. Was due to go there a few times and had to bail. You know, it's quite a long way to go. Got up at 4. Uh, drove all the way there with a mate who's a speed golfer. He insisted on running around the entire town of Gillen beforehand, every course, street Luke, in Gillen. Luke, yeah, Luke, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was on my Brompton trying to keep up with him. It was Arctic. I couldn't hold a phone to <laughs> film him in my hand. And then, so after waiting 35 years to play, uh, I played it with Hickory's in 53 minutes and he lapped me on, I think, the 10th or something. No. So I need and that's to, your only hit of Muirfield. Yeah, I need to get back there. But still, you know, if that's all I get of Muirfield. It How was, many groups it was did joyous. you have to let through in fifty-three minutes? I went. We went through. We went through <laughs> the only two who were on the golf course. I did ask how many, how many groups you had to let through. <laughs> well, it wasn't I'm surprised. Off. There's an acceptable no. pace at Muirfield, I think, 53 minutes. Yeah, I mean, it was only <laughs> they only barely raised an eyebrow as we went sprinting through. Maybe boys are getting round okay. They're all right. The other thing was, you know, I think it's a little later than 11, is it? I can't remember which it is. There's a whole way you get near the end, and there's this expansive land. I know it's been talked about by various people between that and the sort of what's effectively a private members beach mm. and that bit of links land there just looks unbelievable well there's a lot of talk about saying you know they could you know could build a second golf course down there yeah. and it would be one of the best golf courses in britain Ireland. we've taught you know, i remember being in dublin recently with a few guys and we went to port marnock and to louth louth's the same again you could have a second golf course there that'd be staggering sometimes less is more though you know yeah. sometimes it's nice to look out and go isn't that brilliant June land over there? And wouldn't it be great to have a golf course? And sometimes the worst thing would be to have the second golf course there. Yeah. Because then what would you do? You'd sit and have a drink afterwards and go for a drinking gullen and say, well, oh, which was the better one? Oh, I preferred this. And I was like, well, you're kind of missing the point. And then all of a sudden you've just got loads of golfers in view. And it's sometimes, it's sometimes better to you know, keep it in the box, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. It was intriguing seeing it, and it's just a, a beautiful place. But if anyone comes out of Muirfield, even if they played it in under an hour, feeling that they didn't get their money's worth, they, they need their head examining. It's just an amazing <laughs> place. Hole 12. Stone uh, Stone five. Yeah, another place sort of been on my radar. I guess it's, uh, you know, it's the best club in the area, I would think. It's quite a golfer's club, but I'd never been there. Went there recently. Willie Park Jr., um, just staggered by the place. Yeah. It's um, some great holes, really beautiful patch of land, rolling hills, some heathland, and um, that hole in particular was just an incredible setting. I think we played in February, um, and uh, it was just amazing to be there. After all this time, it's been on sort of, you know, in the back of my mind for all that time, and I got there, and it's yet another one, like Blackwell, where I thought I should have done this a hell of a long time ago. You've got the Addington in there, obviously the 13th, the, the, yeah. the iconic long par three. Yeah. So I've only played the Addington once, and it was a long time ago. It was, it was when uh, was it Moira Fabes owned it, um, and I turned up, and there was one sort of rusty old car in the car park, and that was the, um, I found out that was the secretary. There was no one playing golf there. Put a ball down in the mat, um, hit a nice iron shot in the mat. It went straight through a hole in the mat and nearly hit a greenkeeper on the other side <laughs> of the fairway. And I just had the place to myself and I came off there. You know, I'd been expecting a bit from Golf Club Atlas talking about it and, you know, the famous Woodhouse. Mm. 
and all the people who've played there over the years uh, and it didn't let me down but it was it was in pretty you know it needed some love and I remember thinking that some of these holes are incredibly hard but I, I could I just loved it and I still haven't been back so it's really I'm, provocative again though isn't it the land the movement the bridges everything that's yeah. going on it's just bold isn't yeah it? it's really, really bold. bold land and, I mean um, it's the, the stuff you know this podcast is is no short of is never short of hyperbole when it comes to the Addington but the stuff that Ryan's leading there is just amazing yeah. and you know it's going to get better as well um, you, you've obviously mentioned Cleve Hill, um, Huntercombe fifteen, oh. Royal Blackheath eighteen. They're the last last two. So just run us through those last yeah. couple. I just I love everything about Huntercombe. It's just such a uh, understated place. You get out of the car and the red kites sort of come down to have a look at you. And uh, the greens again. I hadn't been there for fifteen years. I played there twice in the space of three weeks. I think a month ago or something. And they're wild greens. The contours there are the only ones I think round that compare with Workings. Uh, just, I don't know. It's just the most wonderful, natural, peaceful setting in the middle of the farmland. And um, everything about Huntercombe is sort of subtle and understated. And yeah. I just love it. That's a great hole. Hardly any bunk. I think there are 13 bunkers or yeah, something. Yeah, there used to be none in there or it's interesting, isn't it? A place like Huntercombe, you know, you kind of always think a lot of clubs are, you know, they're the product of what was built at the time, but also just the way that history's evolved around it. Sunningdale's an incredibly wealthy area. It's, you know, mm. proximity to London. Willie Park Jr. went off and, you know, he broke himself in the process with Huntercombe, from my gather, it just wasn't close enough to the hubbub of London. Mm. Um, and you, you, I don't know, a bit of me sort of wonders, you know, just how history could be different if Hunter Coombe just happened to be a hell of a lot closer to London and Sunningdale was out in the sticks. You know, would we still yeah. talk about Sunningdale in the same way we do versus Hunter Coombe, perhaps? I don't know. It's it's a curious one, really. But. I got the impression from the people I played with um, recently that, you know, that was uh, those two projects were going along pretty much side by side and Hunter Coombe was where Park felt able to take the brakes off and just be more flamboyant and and the results are still there and you know if anyone changes any of those greens it'll be akin to the lady in the leave the other day throwing <laughs> yeah. whatever it was custard at the Mona Lisa it's just a it's a relic of a wonderful age of golden age design it must stay well you've got um so you've got 16 Minchin Hampton Old 17th New Zealand and we're finishing at Royal Blackheath 18 yeah I was surprised this one came in because I I went there recently and I... Great yardage, 287-yard par four. I'm all about this. Well, I didn't know what to expect of the golf course. I hadn't heard that much positive stuff about Royal Blackheath, but I knew about the history and that the, we got shown around the museum, which was just incredible. There's so much there and it's... Um, Would you recommend that as a visit? Yeah, it's it's a must-do. It's fabulous. And the golf course is really good. Exceeded expectation. 18 is... Um, a strange hole uh, you've got to get from the 17th green to the clubhouse and there's sort of a hedge that's in play and it's, a, <laughs> it's quite a difficult shot up the hill um, and the green is pretty close to the clubhouse I'm just looking behind me to make sure no one's hitting balls at me from an equally close place but <laughs> they sit out the front at Blackheath and you know if you had a ball in the air and you misjudged it by 10 or 15 yards it could get pretty awkward I would think but um and then the other thing about that was you hear stories about them sitting in the dining room there for decades and chipping balls out the window after lunch back onto that green. And I, I don't know. I thought that was a nice finishing hole, but I tend to finish any round of golf in a pretty upbeat state, really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's not many 18ths where I think oh, that was a lousy finish. I'm just grateful that we get to play this game. And uh, um, yeah. That's a brilliant way to close out. I, 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 back of my mind is a question as well. Any courses that you didn't squeeze in that you would like to have? And I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, we, you know, you've got a little Pine Valley bag tag on on the single strap, and you know, great that these courses are all that, yeah. all on brand. You know, like they're all they're all very much similar. There's a great flow and harmony to those types of courses. Mm. Were there any other courses that? You just desperately wanted to squeeze a hole in, maybe Royal Wimbledon, perhaps, but you know yeah, that definitely. you just couldn't because it's a real, it's a real brain 
brain teaser, isn't it? This to try and get the holes you want in from the certain places, but then trying to make sure the courses feature. Yeah. They're two different problems. So many. So I intentionally left out. I've played a bit of golf in the States, been really lucky and played some amazing places over there. Um, but I wanted it to be UK because that's my current sort of yeah. um, uh, that's great. mission. Uh, yeah, Royal Wimbledon, I would love to have included. Royal St. George's. There's no old course on there. I mean, no. that's a glaring error, really. But uh, Swinney, I love. the Barcher. They're all English with the exception of one. Uh, which uh, well, is one in film. Wales, one in Wales, one in Scotland, rest are in England. Yeah. Um, Blackwell, having played it this morning, I mean, it, it, this is a special place. I, mean, I could do this. That's the, you could do it again next week and it would look different. Yeah, I'd probably have three holes in common. It's just a fluid thing. But the important bit and the, the bit that I love about what you've done with both the podcast and, and the other material, but particularly the Eclectic 18, it just gets us thinking about what, sparks us up about golf and you know i i will continue to think about this and it'll evolve but i'm grateful that you've done this so we can all sit around arguing about our holes and so on brilliant well richard thank you so much for your time thanks for today thank and thanks for coming up and seeing blackwell it's um it's great it's always great fun hosting it's it's great visiting and being on the road and seeing courses but there's nothing more rewarding than getting to show people your home club i think so uh, and i'm glad you've had a good time but uh thanks again thank you Cheers, sir. Watch this.